Bobby McFerrin gave us some sound advice there, and don't worry. There must be a plague on this side. The locusts, the locusts have invaded this side, or maybe this is the unwashed on this side. Uh, the remnant. Okay, there you go. Uh, easier said than done, right? Don't worry, be happy. Easier said than done. Why? Because stress, other than genetics, stress is the leading cause of heart disease, of diabetes, of high blood pressure, stress. What does that tell us? It tells us our world is a mangled, mixed up mess that we are taking far too seriously. That our world is a a place where we're focused, the the eternal lens of of our life is focused in a temporal way. And we're allowing the temporary to supersede the importance of the eternal. In this passage today, and actually for these next four weeks as we look at the, 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 the cancer, really, that stress is and can become in our lives, I want us to see some things from Scripture that give us some anecdotal ways to apply the truth of God's Word into, into real-world applications that say, i got a choice here. i got a choice how I respond to that, to this, to him, to her. And, my, and in those choices, my stress can be increased or it can be decreased. It can be lessened or it can be in, in worse shape. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look here at what Jesus himself has to say about this thing of worry and how it can eat our lunch a lot of times. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, and reading down through verse 34 together. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry will negatively affect us in a number of ways. There are, there are far more than, than the four we're going to look at this morning from this passage, but we'll look at four of those. Worry will negatively affect, will negatively adjust our priorities. Negatively adjust our priorities. Look at back verse 25 again with me. Therefore, I'll tell you, not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is, not, is life not more important than food and the body for clothes? Are you not, are you, he's saying here, are you not much more important than they? And the implication there is, yes, we are, so why do not we act like it? Why act like we are? We've become a culture here in 2017 and before this, certainly, but we've become a culture that's consumed with consumption. We're consumed with, with disposal, disposability of a lot of things in life. Um, there, are, there are things that are, that, are, that are hitting the market really almost day, to, day after day after day to make this easier, that easier, this more disposable, that more disposable. And as you, as you look at ads that come across magazines and TV and things, I wonder, is there anything that's built to last anymore? 
Is there anything that will, is there any product I can buy that will last me a good 25, 30 years anymore? And so, and the answer to that is increasingly no, no, no. Why? Because we are, we are living in a disposable generation that sees everything as disposable. And we, 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 we consume this in our own world. I think with me through this, through a couple of two or three things here, a couple of two or three scenarios. Why is it that we have so much, and please don't hear judgment in what I'm about to say because I'm grateful for what you do to help. Why is it we have so much to bring to the church room and sell every year? You ever thought about it? While your garage and my garage and your attic and my attic is full of stuff we really don't need that we can gather up, bring to the church sale, and see some people come to Christ in Nicaragua out of that. And that's glorious. And thank you for doing it. Thank you for bringing it. Keep buying your stuff and bring it to the church. No. But why is, it, why is it that we are so consumer-driven that what we, what we bought last year is now disposable and not usable this year, so we'll take it to the church sale or your, your, or your own rummage sale, your, your own yard sale? Why is it that the self-storage business, you see those things popping up all over the place, self-storage you know, warehouses or, or little, those are all over town, they're, and they're increasing. They're not, they're not you know, you're, you're seeing them pop up. I know you are in your neighborhood, and, and I am in mine. Why is that the case? Because we need some place to put this precious stuff that we can't throw away. We got to keep it. Gotta have, somebody might need it. The kids might need this. We, we have, have, have need to tuck this stuff away and hang on to it, so the kids can throw it away after we die, or give it give it away, or take it to Angelic or some other place. But but you ever wonder why that's the case? And why is it that that closet space in new homes is is such a premium? That a, that a a perfectly good home a couple will walk away from quickly because there's not enough closet space. Ever think about that? Why, our, why our, our consumer mentality is so important that we have to package our life around our consumerism and not the other way around. It, it is and it, it was the very thing I think he's speaking to here to say, are, are these things of more value than that? Look at, look at the things you're focusing your attention on, food, clothing, the trivial things. Look at the way I take care of the lilies. Look at the way I take care of the birds of the air. Are you, are not, are you not far more important than they why are you losing sight of your priorities and letting your consumer, your, your own self-consumption drive your life and your world? And that's a question I think we all have to face. Uh, he references food, so let's examine that for a minute. Why is it that we, our, our, our uh, community group several uh, months ago went through the Daniel plan in our small group? And the take, one of the several takeaways that were great from that and honestly, Leanne and I have tried to eat healthier since that time um, and, and are doing so. She's lost a few pounds. I've lost a few pounds. We're still heading in that same direction. But why is it that we, are, we, are, we let decisions about food drive the day? As I, as I talked earlier uh, in, in our previous study, I was talking to you about how the enemy works on us and how many things in our life are, whether we rec- recognize it or not, spiritual warfare, even as we head down the grocery aisle. Do I need this pack of Oreos or do I need the, the, the corn and green beans? And What do I really need? I need nourishment. I want the Oreos. I want the ice cream in the ice cream stand, but I need the broccoli in the vegetable department. And so, and I shop that way. Why? Because we're driven around feeding the things that we want, consuming the things that we want instead of the things that we need. And so this dry, moves from food into other areas of our life, but he, he addresses food here. One of the things my, my takeaway from the Daniel plan was this. Do we eat to fill up or do we eat to fuel up? Do we see food as a coping component or do we see it as a means to an end to fuel 
the energy that we need for, for the day, for our lives. And as we think about those things, and, and please please see the arrows coming at your pastor as much as any, anybody else because I need to lose another 20 myself probably. But as we see, as we, as we walk through as we walk through life and see and are faced with these kinds of consequential decisions, they're not so inconsequential. Why? Because the stress that comes from those and the diabetes and the heart problems and the high blood pressure that comes from decisions we make, compounded with the stress that's on our life by, by way of work, by way of relationships or things that aren't work, <clears throat> excuse me, working in life, it compounds health problems that you and I face today. And we are we're becoming a culture that... Uh, that is having some increasing health issues as well. But the worry or concern that, that we might miss something causes us to, to consume even more. I, I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss this experience or, or miss trying this out. And consequently, we, we, we live and walk in a world where our priorities are out of whack, to where what we want to consume drives the day instead of what is best for us driving the day. Why are we, as a culture, why are we overweight? Why are we abusing drugs? Why are we abusing alcohol? Because our priorities are out of whack. I mean, that's as simple as I know how to put it. We've looked at we've looked at a culture and said, "Okay, I'll buy into what you want instead of what God says is best for me," and we're suffering the consequences of it as a culture. Where we worry will affect our priorities, no doubt. Secondly, worry will negatively affect our focus. Look at twenty-eight to thirty with me. Why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field; they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If we know that God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? If that's how he clothes the grass, he says, will he not much more clothe you? This is all about whether our, it's not so much about clothes, but it's all about whether our focus is on what's inside or on, out, on, or, or on what's on the outside, on our appearance, on how we're dressed, on how we come across, how we present ourselves, or on what drives the way we make decisions, on what drives the countenance of our, of our face, of our life, on what drives the way we interact with people, what drives the way that we, we share Christ with, us, with others around us. So much of, he says, he refers to it here as laboring and spinning. Much of our laboring and spinning that he refers to in verse, in verse 38 is, is not about food and shelter and clothing. It's about better food and better shelter and better clothing and nicer things. Nothing evil or wrong with nice things. Please don't hear that at all. But if that's, the, if that's what's driving the decision, then there's something wrong with that. Not only are our priorities out of whack, our focus is out of whack. And it, it, is, it is oftentimes those decisions are made sadly so we'll feel better about ourselves or look better. And consequently, if we look better, we'll feel better about ourselves rather than working on what's the end. If I don't feel better about myself, guess what the problem is? The problem's on the inside of me. It has nothing to do with what's on the outside of me. And, he, and he's pointing that out here to say, Listen, it's not about the things that you're thinking are important. It's not about clothing. It's not about shelter. It's not about your appearance at all. It's about what's on the inside. In fact, this teaching, there were some Pharisees present here. This teaching, he, he later in Matthew uh, describes these, these onlookers, these Pharisees as listeners, as whitewashed tombs. And that's just to say, you guys look good on the outside. You're all clean on the outside, the, the, the tassels on the bottom of your robes. But inside, he says in that passage later in Matthew, you're full of dead men's bones. You're, you're, you're decaying and dying away. You look very much alive on the outside, but you're dying and decaying away on the inside. And that's, the, that's what a, a loss of focus, a, lo- a loss of priority, that's the effect that worry will have on us. When my focus is on how I appear, worry will consume me. When, I, when, when my focus is on how I really am, worry will find its place someplace else. Why? 
Because he defines who I am, not what I wear. He defines who I am, not where I live. He defines who I am, not what I drive. He defines who I am, not the relationship that I have with him or her. By, def- by definition, he's the one who gives us value. If we're seeking value in some place or someone apart from him, um, we're seeking it in the wrong place. So if our goal is to be better, then let's work on the inside. If our goal is to look better, then the outside is extremely important. So we've got to make that decision about ourselves, about where our focus lies. And it, it, this all boils down to what I was praying earlier, earlier about looking through an et- eternal lens or a temporal lens, looking through a lens that says today is far more important than eternity, or looking through a lens that says that's where I'm from, that's where my identity lies, that's where my destiny and destination occur, and this is a means to that end. So every decision I make should affect how, <clears throat> how my life looks there instead of here. And we have that in reverse oftentimes. And so our, we, we become focused on the things that don't matter and unfocused on the things that do. He said, listen, focus is altogether important. I'll take care of these other things. He's going to, going to go on to say, keep your focus on where it needs to go. Thirdly, worry will not only negatively adjust our priorities and affect our focus, worry will negatively cause us to reorder life. Look at verses 32 and 33 with me. He says, for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. <clears throat> Most people are either pie or cake people. Pie people, raise your hands. If pie is your preference over cake. Okay, cake people, raise your hand. Both. Okay. I like cake. I like cake too, but I'm a pie guy. I, love, I like pie better than cake. The only thing with pie is <clears throat> what people think makes a pie look great is about six or 12 inches of meringue on top of the pie. And you may love meringue. Don't be offended by this next comment, but I could do without the meringue on the pie. Just get me to the guts of what the pie is about, and I'm happy. Whether it's custard or chocolate or lemon, or get me to the guts of the pie and keep all the nice-looking meringue for yourself. It's a waste of time. It's fluff, more or less. Now, those of you who love meringue, don't be offended by that. Go ahead and eat them, all the meringue you love. But, but it's, and, and our life is, we, we reorder our life sometimes just like that to, to focus on the fluff things, the things that really don't matter, that are, the effects of which are going to burn up, and ignore the things of substance and let them just kind of idly go by thinking, well, that'll take care of itself in time. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But he talks here about the, the kingdom of God. So what are we supposed to be seeking in this kingdom of God? He says, listen... These things will take care of themselves. The pagans run after these things. And in fact, the word things here, if you'll go back in the original Greek, means almost drudge. Or it's almost a comical thing that he's, that he's referring to to say these things. As if these are a waste of time. Don't waste your effort on, on, on running after things. The pagans chase after these things. But the kingdom of God is not about those things. So what is he referring to when he refers to the kingdom of God? Listen to, to John chapter 18, verse 36. This is Jesus speaking. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's speaking to Pilate at his judgment. My, speak, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom, watch this, is from another place. My kingdom's from another place. My kingdom's not of this world. It never has been. It's to come into this world to reveal that my kingdom is from another place. It's to reveal that we were wired, uh, designed, ordered to be from there. And 
look better there and re- realize our potential there and see through, through a clearer lens there. Why? Because that's who we are. That's how God's wired us to be. So he says here that seeking his kingdom means seeking after those things that are otherworldly. That's my question to you about this point, and that's this. Is our, is our plans and our motivations of this world, or are they otherworldly? Are, are, are your plans and dreams and motivations about this package here and how you make this, this world function in your life and your family and your home? Not that there's evil in those things in and of themselves, but if our life and our vision and our focus is otherworldly, there'll be things in this world, even as it has to do with family, there'll be things in this world that are far, far less important. Why? Because we, we've reordered our life to focus on kingdom things and allowing earthly, carnal, fleshly things, things that are going to burn up to have their own way and play out in their own way. God will take care of those, he says. The pagans run after those things. He says, I know you need them. I realize you need those things. I'm going to give those to you if you seek the kingdom first. These things that you're chasing that you think are so important aren't. Kingdom things, he's saying here, are far more important than what we need to be running after. Now look at this promise here. If we keep these keep our life in order, these things that we need will follow. If we keep our life out of order and chasing the things, we may never see the kingdom things. Credible promise there that he gives us to say, if you follow after kingdom things, if you have your nose in this book, your face with me, spending time with me daily, you're chasing after me, learning after me, if you seek kingdom things, these things you need in this world are going to be taken care of. I've got it. Isaiah 46, I've got you, and I've got this. I've got it. If you'll trust me with kingdom things, I'll take care of all these other earthly things that you need. It, it amazes me how we think God needs our help. And I've, I've been in that, I've, I've walked that road, and I still walk it sometimes thinking, he needs my help with this. He don't need my help with anything. But I think he does. So I'll put a little more due diligence into this or that. And I hear him saying constantly over and over to me, son, have you not learned? Have you, have you not seen? Have you not walked with me far enough to realize I've got all of that? You just focus on me and I'll take care of the rest of the residual things that you're chasing after to think you need my help with this. And yeah, I don't need your help with this. I've got you and I've got this. So here's a question I want as we, as we think in, this terms of, in terms of reordering our lives, and that's this. Do we want life, what life has, uh, worry about what life has, or do we want to settle for things? Do we want real life, or do we worry enough to settle for things, many of us are settling for things when we could have far more of him, see far more of him, see his ways and his nature around us in the, in the circumstances and conversations and situations he places us in to bring glory to himself. We could see him in those things if the things that we're chasing were far less important to us. Finally, worry will negatively adjust our priorities, affect our focus, cause us to reorder life, but worry will also negatively cause us, watch this, it's important, cause us to miss the moment. Worry will cause us to miss the moment. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Worry causes us to miss the moment. And I'm going to tell you, that's my deal. That's my problem. I, I, I am so, nobody needs this verse more than I do. I'm so forward focused that I miss the needs of people. I miss the moment that the Lord's in. I, I, I shovel right around. Why? And I even drive like that. Leanne gets on me for how I drive. When I drive down the road, I'm looking five or six cars ahead and will sometimes miss the very taillights of the car in front of me because I'm looking what's happened five or six cars down the road. 
so I can hopefully make some kind of adjustment in, in, ahead of time, and I'll miss the taillights of the car that's dead in front of me. And I, I, I do that in, in, in leadership. I do that sometimes in pastoring. I'm, I'm, I'm so focused on what, what is next that I'm missing what is here. And I need to see what is here. And many of us do as well. We're, we are focused on the next thing, the next thing, and the thing after that, the thing after that. And we're missing the very thing he has us in, in this moment, for this day, for his glory. And if you're like me and you miss those things, I need to refocus. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to let tomorrow worry about itself in truth because each day has enough trouble of its own. Sometimes we so insulate our lives and so backstop our worlds with good things, well-meaning things, um, safety nets that are relational, that are vocational, life insurance, uh, all kinds of, we backstop our, life insurance is not evil. Don't, don't take that out of here either. But we backstop our lives with so much safety that I wonder how, how many times God has a way of saying, can I get through some of these provisional things you put in place to really speak to you and reveal myself to you and show you things about yourself that you'll never see caught up in all this stuff, caught up in all of your provisions that you've made for yourselves? Can, can, I, can I get in there somewhere? Can I say something to you that's of real value that you've never heard before, never seen before? If you if you you got to get out of the way of those things for him to for him to be seen seen and heard and we we don't do that intentionally none of us do we've, but we've unintentionally taken his leadership and his voice and his spirit out of the equation in our life why because we backstop our world and our relationships and our family and our vocations and with with so many so many safety measures that and many of us live this way and I, let me address this kind of as we wrap this point up to ask this are you a what ifer are you a what ifer you live your life based on the what ifs that might happen. What if something happened to them, my job? What if, what if this relationship started to break down? What if, what if somebody got sick? What if the kids needed all this stuff in the storage building? What if, do you live your life based on what ifs? What he's saying here in this verse is, I got tomorrow. I've got it. I'm already ahead of you. I'm already at tomorrow. I'm in tomorrow ahead of you. I've got tomorrow. You worry about today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't live your life based on the what ifs. Trust me for the what ifs. What ifs are about tomorrow. Trust me for tomorrow. I'm already ahead of you and I'm already in tomorrow. Will you trust me to see further than you can see, to know more than you know, to experience the things that you've not experienced yet? I'm already, I'm already there ahead of you in those waiting on you. And we, we, we backstop and what if our lives and, and secure ourselves and, and make ourselves protected by this, these, these well-intended but sometimes pagan cocoons to say, if it all falls through, I've got this to lean on. You know what he's saying? If it all falls through, you've got nothing to lean on except me. I'm in tomorrow. I'm ahead of you. I'll take care of tomorrow. Lean on me, not on the provision of things you put, in, put on your life. So it really boils down to this, and this is as, as simple and succinct as I know how to put it. Either your God is big enough or he isn't. He's big enough for everything, or he's not big enough for anything. If he is, sometimes we need to readjust and reorder our life to reflect that. If he's not, then why walk with him in the first place? Why claim to know him in the first place? Why seek his ways and his nature and his word and his wisdom if he's really not that important? Either he is or he isn't. And if he isn't, well, we're missing some significant things. We're missing some significant <laughs> lessons in life, that moments that we're worried about because we're focused on the what ifs and we're focused on the what might be's and we miss him in the moments. You're like me, you're looking five cars ahead and I miss what's in front of me. I'm thinking 
five years down the road and I miss today. Why? Because my focus is in the wrong place. I need to refocus my life on what he's doing in my life in this moment today and trust him deeply for tomorrow. He's trustworthy. I can tell you in the times of obedience in my life and in my world, I found him to be solid every time. I found him to come through and again and again and again every time. When I've made my own way, leaned on my own wisdom and my own knowledge, I've dropped the ball often. The times I've put these principles into practice, I'm going to tell you, just like every other principle in this book, they work. This book works. The principles here work if we'll just apply them and put them into practice. Worry will eat our lunch if we allow it to do do so. And it's doing so over and over and over again because we're seeing the health issues. We're We're seeing greater depression. We're seeing greater addiction than we ever have. Why? Because we're stressed about life. And there's no coping mechanism, and worry has sent us over the edge as a culture, and it's continuing to to spiral in that direction. A couple of questions as we close. And that's this. In your life, how much damage has worry already caused? How much has it already caused in your health, in your blood pressure, in in your weight, in your marriage, in your vocation? How much has worry already cost you? Second question is a little more important, though. It's this. How much more room are you willing to let it have? How much more room are you willing to let worry have? Are you willing to let it go and say, listen, I'm over this. I can't control this anyway. I don't know why I've been worrying about this for this long. I have no control over this. I need to let this go and let God have it. And those things may be different person to person in this room. It may be vocational, maybe relational, maybe financial. I don't know what your worry and concern is, but I know this. He doesn't want you to have it. I know this. He wants it to be released and for the trust and faith to be put in him to where he doesn't refer to us as you have little faith. To where he looks at us and says, greater faith looks like less worry. Greater faith looks like a a life that is less concerned about circumstances and more concerned about the outcomes of what I'm up to that day, who I'm up to with you, what what I'm speaking to you and for in that moment. Far more important, how much more room are you willing to let worry have? That's your decision, and it's yours to make. He's not going to force anything on you. He's not going to force faith on you. It's your decision to walk away from worry and walk toward faith. Your decision to, to, to spit the enemy in the eye and say, no, not today. You're not going to consume me with worry about him, about her, about the job, about this. Not today. Now, that battle may have to be won again tomorrow, but those day after day after day after day battles we can win Why? last week with the word and defeat worry Put it behind us. It deserves no place in our world and in our life. It's having an effect on our life and in our culture because we're allowing it to. We'll say no more. That can change. Our focus, our priorities, we have to reorder things in our life for that to happen. Let's pray.